In the 1970s and 80s, a monster hunted the Connecticut River Valley. Seven bodies found, one survivor, and no suspects. I'm Jane Borowski, host of Invisible Tears. I was seven months pregnant and stabbed 27 times, and I survived. My story didn't end that frightful night. This attack on me physically and mentally lingered for years. I'm Amanda Bedard, and I'm Jane's life coach and co-host of Invisible Tears. Jane is ready to share her story, and not just about her attack, but her healing process afterwards. As a platform for truth and healing, we are on a mission to help others that suffer from PTSD and help bring awareness to mental health issues. To hear my story and others, you can find Invisible Tears wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Have you ever wondered what it's like to witness a murder? Forrest grabbed the knife and then just stabbed Johnny in one motion. Or how it feels to be shot. I was immediately hit by a barrage of bullets. Or how you would react if your spouse hired someone to kill you. And he was to put me in a grave with a bullet wound on my head. These are the stories you'll hear on the podcast called What Was That Like? True stories told by the actual person who went through it. You'll hear from a stalking victim. Came back upstairs, and when I came back and turned the corner into my room, I saw him standing there. You'll hear from a man who was kidnapped and tortured. I would do anything, say anything, to simply get away. And you'll hear actual 911 calls. Take a deep breath. Oh my God! Take a deep breath. Oh my God! Take a deep breath. Oh my God! Real people in unreal situations. Search for What Was That Like on any podcast app or at whatwasthatlike.com. Strange and Scary Mysteries of the Month, May 2019. Strange and Scary Mysteries of the Month is a compilation of the weird, disturbing, and downright baffling stories currently happening in our world. From UFOs to serial killers, ancient sites, mysterious creatures, and even ghosts, these are the Strange and Scary Mysteries of the Month for May 2019. Number 5. Carolyn Warmus Wins Parole After finishing her degree in psychology at the University of Michigan, Caroline Warmus moved to New York. She was only 25 years old at the time in September of 1987 when she landed a teaching gig at Greenville Elementary School in Scarsdale. It was while teaching here that Warmus met fellow teacher Paul Solomon. Despite also meeting his wife and their kids, the two began a secret affair. Solomon was a known womanizer with a shady background and Warmus couldn't help but fall for him. On the evening of January 15, 1989, a phone operator received a call from a woman in distress. The call was cut off and the operator informed police When they traced the number, it led to the wrong address, so they didn't know who the woman was. But, by 11.42 p.m., the dead body of Betty Jean Solomon was found inside her condominium. Solomon had suffered signs of being pistol-whipped and was shot several times in her back and legs. Paul Solomon immediately became the first suspect, but he told police he had an alibi and that he had went to a local bowling alley, saw friends, then spent the evening with Warmus at a Holiday Inn. 
Once detectives confirmed his alibi, the police turned to other suspects. Soon after Betty Jean's death, Paul broke up with Warmus, but soon after ended up dating another co-teacher, Barbara Baller. Upset by what happened, Warmus began stalking Solomon and Baller, going so far as to following them to Puerto Rico. She also began harassing Baller's family, hoping to break off her relationship with Paul. Police were soon looking at Warmus as a possible suspect for the murder because of this unusual behavior. Then police caught information Warmus had gotten hold of a 25 caliber Beretta pistol with a silencer just days before Betty Jean's death. A detective looked at the calls from Warmus's home on the day of the murder and one call stood out. It was a call to Ray's Sports Shop in New Jersey. But when they checked the store records, the only female who purchased bullets was a woman named Lisa Katai. When questioned, Katai denied she purchased the bullets and said her driver's license was lost or stolen while working at a summer job. Police looked into it and found out Warmus was one of her co-workers. With this information, there was enough evidence to arrest Warmus for the murder of Betty Jean. The trial started in February of 1990, where Warmus was indicted for second-degree murder and criminal possession of a weapon. The first trial resulted in a hung jury, but in the second one, she was found guilty and sentenced to 25 years to life in prison. Since then, she's been held at the Bedford Hills Correctional Facility for Women. It wasn't until January of 2017 when she got her first parole hearing, but she was denied because of a prolific disciplinary history. She reapplied for parole again in 2018, and recently, it was granted. Because of the case's similarity with the movie Fatal Attraction, the case received considerable attention from the media, and it even inspired other movies and books. Warmus still maintains her innocence and is said to be suffering from a brain tumor currently. She's expected to get out of prison within the year. Number 4. Dr. Jan Carbett For women struggling to get pregnant, fertility clinics are godsend. It's a place where they can make their dreams of motherhood and starting a family come true. But not all who work in such clinics have such noble intentions such is the case with Dr. Jan Carbett from Rotterdam, Netherlands. Carbett, who died in 2017 at the age of 89, became the focus of a wide investigation and trial after his death. The fertility doctor was suspected of using his own semen to father not one or even two, but as many as 49 to 60 children. Starting in 1980 up until 2000, the doctor ran a sperm bank in the back of his yellow brick house. He was so successful, he became well known for being a leading expert in the assisted reproduction business. It's believed over 10,000 children were conceived with the help of the clinic. Inside, whenever women looking to get pregnant came in, he always told them the sperm came from anonymous donors. Not knowing any better, the women accepted the explanation. But fast forward decades on, and the children, now all grown, began searching for their heritage and discovered they all led back to Jan. In 2009, the clinic was closed via government sanction when it was discovered they had improper storage standards. Then the rumors of impropriety began when a test on two children showed they were half-siblings instead of full-siblings as the mother was told. Soon, at least 12 people and 10 mothers filed lawsuit against the Rotterdam Clinic, asserting the director was their biological father. The lawsuit asked for access to Carbett's DNA, 
so it could be tested and compared to those of his alleged children. Although the doctor's widow didn't want to give his DNA samples, a Dutch court ruled in February for them to submit the samples so they could be used for comparison. Once the testings began, the final count so far is at least 36 sisters and 13 brothers, but it's possible there could be as many as 60 children fathered by Dr. Carbett. Today, many of these children are aware that the doctor may have been their father. Most of them are already in their 30s and have children of their own, while others are still minors. Number 3. Kai the Hitchhiker In 2013, viral fame came upon Kai, the hatchet-wielding hitchhiker. The young surfer hitchhiker became an unlikely hero by saving a person from a would-be attacker. He was interviewed later by a reporter in Fresno, California, and his animated retelling, as well as profanity-filled story, led to a viral moment. However, 30-year-old Kai, whose real name is Caleb McGilvery, is finding himself back in the limelight again for different reasons. The Canadian was recently convicted of first-degree murder for beating and killing former veteran and 73-year-old lawyer Joseph Galfi Jr. Apparently, the two met in May of 2013 in Times Square, New York. They drank some beer and hit it off, and Galfi invited Kai back to his home in New Jersey so he could spend the night in his guest room. But the next day, Kai said he woke up with a hangover. Later that night, he called Galfi again to see if he could stay in the guest room one more night. But the second morning, he said he woke and found Galfi's partially naked body on top of him, trying to assault him. Kai said he fought Galfi away from him and in the process hit him. But prosecutors rebutted the theory, saying that when the coroner examined Galfi's body, they realized he suffered three skull fractures, four broken ribs, as well as harsh contusions all over his body. The self-defense story Kai gave out then didn't seem believable. There were also inconsistencies with his story about what happened, including the initial statements he gave to the investigators and during his trial. Even more suspicious was that soon after the incident, he cut his hair and fled the state. Prosecutors say it was a violent and senseless crime. Since 2013, Caleb has been sitting in prison waiting for his day in court. It happened this past month, and when it finally came, it wasn't a happy ending as he hoped, as he was convicted of the murder charge. His father, however, believes he is innocent of the crime and that the police never fully investigated what happened, including Kai's claims of a possible attempt of sexual assault by Galfi. Number 2. Libby German and Abby Williams What was most terrifying was that it was so random. When 14-year-old Liberty German, known as Libby, and her 13-year-old friend Abigail Williams, known as Abby, decided to take a hike on a popular hiking trail in the small town of Delphi, Indiana, no one thought anything bad would happen, but the girls never came back home alive. The two friends left on February 13, 2017 to go for a walk. The 8th graders were dropped off around 1 p.m. at the Delphi Historic Trails, and they arranged to meet with relatives after an hour at the start of the trail on the other side. While on their day out, Libby posted photos to Snapchat of Abby walking down the Monon High Bridge, which is an old abandoned railroad bridge just over Deer Creek. Then when the girls failed to show up at the agreed meetup after their hike, they were reported missing. A search took place, but it was called off after it got too dark. At the time, police didn't have any reason to believe the girls were in any real danger. 
The following day, the search continued. It was then when a team found two bodies just half a mile from the bridge. While the authorities shared the finding, they couldn't confirm the identity of the bodies. An autopsy was conducted, and by the 15th, it was revealed in a news conference that it was indeed Liberty and Abigail's bodies they found. The two girls had been murdered. Investigators haven't released how they were killed, hoping to keep the details close, which might be helpful towards identifying a suspect later on. Police also released an image of a man walking from the bridge, taken by Libby's phone, as the man was approaching the girls. Although the image is blurry, police hope someone would recognize him. At the same time, audio was also released bearing the voice of a man saying, Down the hill. It was possible the man was likely threatening or ordering the girls to go down the hill. The voice recording is muffled because police believe Libby may have placed the phone in her pocket. No other information has been released by the police regarding what's captured in the video or audio. Countless tips have been reported and investigated since the case was first brought to the media's attention, but two years in and there are still no arrests. However, police insist the case hasn't gone cold. Just this year, they finally released a video recording captured on Libby's phone of the man walking or approaching the two girls. In April of 2019, a new audio, video, and sketch was also released. This time, it showed a much younger male. This sketch was based on a description of at least one witness hiking the trail that day. They believe the man lives in Delphi or visits the area, may be between 18 to 40 years old, but could appear older than he is. The case remains open and authorities are asking for any information from anyone who might know anything. There's currently a $225,000 reward for information leading to an arrest. If you have any information, email Abby and Libby Tip at CACOSHRF.com or call the tip line at 844-459-5786. Number 1. Mass Slang in Tennessee it was described by cops as the most gruesome mass slaying they'd ever seen. 25-year-old Michael Cummins is accused of killing seven people, including his parents, in two separate crime scenes in Sumner County, Tennessee, on the last weekend of April 2019. According to authorities, six people were found dead in one residence while one person was found in another. At the first crime scene, police found both David and Clara Cummins, the suspect's parents, and his uncle, Charles Wholesale. Other victims were identified as 12-year-old Sapphire McLaughlin P., her mother Rachel, and grandmother Marcia Knuckles. It's still unknown what the McLaughlin P.'s relationship is with the suspect. The seventh victim found dead in her home was Shirley Furl. It's unknown what her relationship was to the suspect. There was also an eighth victim, a relative of the suspect, who survived but is in critical condition. Police had responded to a 911 call from a family member, which led them to finding the bodies. Hours following the report, a search for the suspect was underway. Eventually, they tracked him down and found Cummins on the ground in a creek bed. At least one officer shot at him when he emerged from the woods. Eventually, though, he was subdued and arrested. He was later taken to the nearby hospital for treatment to his injuries. Cummins has had run-ins with the law before, in fact, he was due to be arrested for violating his parole days before the grisly murders happened. In 2013, he was charged with attempted assault after throwing things at his aunt and damaging her home. 
Then in 2017, he assaulted his grandmother after she tried to prevent him from stealing his mother's purse. One neighbor who spoke under anonymity said that Cummins always spooked her and she's always been baffled as to why he keeps getting released. Many of the people in the area are wary of him. Michael Cummins is currently under police custody and will stand trial for his crimes. So there were the strange and scary mysteries of the month for May 2019. Every day we encounter strange and mysterious stories that most of us don't know what to make of. These are just a handful, but there's still so much more to uncover. If you enjoyed this video, then please subscribe to our channel and hit the notification bell. We have new videos every Wednesday and Saturday that we know you'll want to check out. Thanks for watching, and we'll see you soon.